Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Real Wealth, Real Health, the show that empowers you with insights, information, and inspiration to achieve your version of financial wellness. Learn how to balance living a full life today with planning for the future. This podcast is brought to you by Alpha Investing, a real estate-centric private capital network that provides exclusive investment opportunities to its members. And now, here are your hosts, Ada Piedrico and Daniel Coca. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Real Wealth, Real Health. This is the final episode of 2021. And in this episode, Daniel and I just take a few minutes to go over what was in 2021, some reflections and some of the biggest lessons that we've learned this year. We also share some of our hopes and expectations for the new year. It was a really fun episode to record with Daniel, and we're so grateful for everyone who has been listening and giving us support for Real Wealth, Real Health. We wish you all the best as the year closes out and very much look forward to the year 2022 and beyond, despite the uncertainty, despite what may look like a lot of upheaval, which is upheaval. As Daniel says, I am an eternal optimist, and I really believe that these are all opportunities for us to grow, to get stronger. We are never given a challenge that we cannot transmute into strength, whether that's personally, professionally, as humanity. So as the year closes out, I wish everyone all of the best. And as 2022 begins, may we all see the fruits of our labor bloom into our highest potentials. All right. So we never did a first, like just me and Dan starting the podcast off for Real Wealth, Real Health, but here we are at the end of 21, 2021. And so kind of a, kind of a fun time to do a recap on the year and on the podcast so far. Yeah, looking forward. What a what a year it's been. Oh my gosh. I know. And we're recording this on December 21st, which is the solstice. And it's the, the shortest day of the year. And it's the day of like the return of the light. And so from like a more natural, even like astrological perspective, if you will, we were chatting about this before. It's like a really good time to reflect because this is like the natural new year, not the calendar new year of January 1st. So I thought it'd be kind of fun to, to do that. Like just really like thinking about this, this year, 2021, kind of what we're looking forward to in 2022. So I did want to start off and just kind of thinking about this morning, you know, what was like, what was the one thing in 2021 that you were like, I think this is going to happen. And it actually happened. Good question. (laughs) The obvious thing that jumps into my head is that my wife is pregnant. It was our expectation that it would happen this year and it has. And now we're like seven and a half months living that adventure that is 
being very pregnant in the time of COVID and the winter. Uh, and so we, <laughs> we've been doing a lot of nothing. You did a lot of traveling and up until now, but at some point my, my wife, Brittany reached the point where it's like two hours on a plane. is like two hours too long. And wow. so I'm not really a road trip guy either. And so I hate being in the car for like 12 hours. I just like, I can't. And so, you know, we're kind of settled down now, but yeah, like that's, that's the thing that we expected to do this year. I'll tell you like the last like two years for me have been filled with like turning into an adult, whether it's like getting engaged, then getting married and buying a house. And now like about to have a kid, like all packed into 18 months, give or take like, so yeah, really really quick transition for me over the last year and a half or so. No kidding. Wow. That's amazing. Gosh. Yeah. The past 18 months have been, have been really packed. Like I wasn't expecting this back last year, but I moved and I moved out of the city, not my plan whatsoever, but the market in 2021 basically gave, gave me, gave me and Andrew the, the pricing to sell the house that I was expecting to get in 10 years. Yeah. I I remember you saying like, Oh, like we're like thinking about putting it on the market and like, we'll see if we get it. And then you're like, we're getting way over (laughs) what we thought. Good, good timing. You know, life, life's all about timing. It is. It totally is. And we started with, oh, maybe we'll pl- buy this little plot of land in Topanga so that we can get out of the city. And then somehow it turned it somehow it turned into like a whole house. But yeah, that that was like, yeah, it is timing, right? Like so much of it is timing. And, you know, for, for me, like going into a lot of people don't know this, you do, but you know, I started, I started the year in like a really bad place with my, with my health. Cause I had gone through just like such a severe, such a severe flare of my Crohn's disease. And, you know, I made like pretty much a V-shaped recovery, which was quite miraculous. Like I remember starting this year thinking like my focus is on my health and just like the, the most important things that I need to focus on, like Andrew, my family, Alpha, and then it's everything just accelerated so quickly. Like I got better really quickly. And I remember we did like our first deal in January raised like a record amount for us, like ever. And then, and then it just snowballed in the, in the best of ways where I'm sitting here today and I'm thinking what just like, what happened this year? It just went, it just went, it exploded. And I can only be grateful because I know a lot of people I've had like a really bad year, but I know for me this year has just been an, like an accelerant. I feel like 2021 just accelerated so many things. Well, it's probably appropriate that you host a podcast about health and wealth, right? <laughs> no, no one better to, to speak on those, those topics, uh, but it's true. That's all inter- intertwined. And yeah, I remember at the beginning of the year, like you're frame of reference was very, very different than it is now. And that's just part of it, right? Like we're all, we're all grinding through this and, you know, people see a very um, specific version of us, right? Like as we're doing stuff with alpha, but we all have our own stuff going on, right? We're all like trying to buy houses or build houses and find partners and find new investments and like, you know, have a better relationship with our parents and our brother, you know, everyone's doing the same thing. Right. And we're all just trudging forward the best we can. I know. I know. And I think about like, you know, we talk to some, like, um, we don't do a lot of the health stuff on the podcast. I think it's like, 
you know, people have really like responded. They really love like, obviously like the wealth stuff and we're investors and we talk about all this, but most of the people like that I know, like health is like part and parcel of it. It's not an extra topic. You know what I mean? Like, so for, for us, like maybe like the investing in the wealth is sort of like an extra kind of topic in, in life, but, but health, I think has become just part and parcel of, of like everyone's world. And I think mental health, especially this year from the pandemic as well has been just like a huge topic in how we take care of ourselves. And like, if I hadn't made the focus of my 2021 on getting back into like a really good, healthy place, I wouldn't have been able to execute on everything that I've been able to do and everything that, that alpha did. So yeah, I just think that that's like a, that's a big piece of it. And like a lot of personal, like a lot of personal development. And, you know, we heard from just about everybody this year, like what their definitions of wealth were. And that's like, probably like my favorite part of our conversations. Well, I'll tell you, since I started my adult life, in let's say 2010, right? There's been a pretty significant transition in the way like people view health and wealth, right? Because, and I think I read an article to this effect, maybe like 2014, 2015, where, you know, it's basically saying that historically people have, you know, defined their wealth with big houses and fancy cars and like all the kind of material things, but starting like in the 2010s and now building now, like those same wealthy people care much more about their health. Like that's like the number one priority that they're thinking about. And it was just last week where two of my, my friends, my buddies from school who, you know, invest with alpha were like, Hey, can we get on with you for like 30 minutes and talk about our alpha portfolios and what you see happening? And I'm like, absolutely. And we jump on the phone and we're like, an hour in and all we're talking about is, is health and the different supplements we're taking and how we're working out and like all these things. And then we're like, Oh, like we really, we should talk about alpha. And like, that's always our second. It's like health and then like wealth and investments. What are you doing? Like, you know, and, and I think within our like group of people too, everyone's like willing to learn about something new, right. Whether it's like cryptocurrency or investing in ATMs or art or what have you. And so it's always interesting to catch up with these people who are all doing different things. And like, why is your art investment strategy really interesting right now? Right. And, you know, it's just been a good, I feel like it's been a really good last few years of just like people that are in our age range, like really starting to like get into interesting things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and along with that, it's because they don't align to the values of a previous generation around just like trading time for money and stability, like the whole, like the idea of the nine to five, like a lot of people don't want that. And it's not because they're entitled millennials. It's because it doesn't align with their life today. And I was watching, I don't know if you know who uh, Raul Paul is, but he mm -hmm. was gold, you know, he, now he's big into crypto, but regardless, he did this two hour episode with somebody where he went through this whole macroeconomic history that he relates back to generations based on this book called the fourth turning and everything's generational. And it reminded me of, of a book that I remember reading, maybe it was like back in high school or like early college that was all about demographics and nothing nothing is surprising when you put it in a demographic context. And so I think what I'm trying to say is that 
the shift is generational. The shift is like what worked for baby boomers doesn't work for millennials, doesn't work for, you know, I'm Gen Y, which got completely eliminated. I'm gone. I'm like, I got bumped into like Gen X, I suppose. Gen Y is like the lost generation, but like, you know, I have different goals than my parents have, and I have a different understanding of how to have my stability than my parents had. And I think this is like true of like all these like younger like also younger generations, like I like my neighbor's 14. He mines Chia. He's, he mines a cryptocurrency. And I'm just like, man, like I can't, I can't even think about setting up a node of anything. And so why not, why not have multiple ways to make a living that aren't dependent on like that one big thing. It's not for everybody. Yeah. It's crazy. Cause like, I, I just think like when I was in high school, like I just thought I'm like, I'm crushing it. Like I'm on the basketball team, on the baseball team. I have like a great SAT score. I've got, you know, I'm third in my class. Like I'm killing it. And then I think back, I'm like, wow. Like I was like so far behind of like where I could have been had I not had these like, you know, kind of thresholds or whatever, like this boundary around me that I thought like, this is what I'm supposed to do. And like, if I do those things well, like I'm good. And I didn't really start even contemplating that there were like things outside of that box that were maybe more interesting to me or would be better for my long-term development until I was like in my mid to late twenties and like facing down a very long and arduous career as a lawyer, did I start to think, oh, wow, like there's other stuff that can actually get me all of the things that I want out of my life instead of just that one thing, which is financial security. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I remember going into like starting to work in a bank when I was 18 and I was like, okay, I'm going to get my financial independence. And this is what my successful career is going to look like, like, you know, like child of the eighties. Like I had these ideas about like woman in a suit in this briefcase. And like, there was, you know, like these really like naive kind of like ideas, but I fundamentally understood that that financial stability was really, was really important. And when I reflect back on where I'm at today at the level of like success and, you know, being a principal and a partner at alpha, that was not on my, in my, my 18 year old roadmap. I thought I would be like district manager of the bank, like whatever it is, doesn't matter. But like what I've achieved though, in the qualitative sense is really what was driving me at the time. So to your point, it's not the money, but it's like a certain sense of confidence of accomplishment, of achievement, of freedom, of independence, of time, of being able to choose how I spend my time and where I'm at today is so much better than my 18 year old self could have ever imagined. And for that, like, that's why I love reflecting on even like that, like that younger self or just going through cycles of time and just saying like, gosh, like I really had to reframe what my values were and my goals were. And I always come back to like, just such like a place of gratitude for, you know, where I'm at today. It's interesting. because like when I go on other people's podcasts and they ask you all these questions about like, why do you think you were able to do this or do that? It like causes me to be like reflective. And I think about it like, mm-hmm. you know, before and after for, for days. And I think, you know, my life kind of mantra, so to speak, has always been like, I'm going to try to make the best decision that I can in any given moment with the information I have available. And I'm going to make the effort to get as much of that information as I possibly can, you know, before I make that 
decision, right? And then I was thinking like, well, if I had to assess life decisions, like in that moment, I think I'm making the right one. But if you have to assess them like a year later, like a lot of those decisions, I'd be like, ah, like that, that was questionable, right? And like, but then some of them down the road, and I think about, you know, leaving my prior life and starting alpha as being the key one of those at the time, best decision ever, like a year in, like, maybe this was a bad idea. Like there's way more to this than, than we thought there was. And like now being like, again, best idea ever, like we were able to execute on, you know, what we envisioned and it it took a lot of hard work. And, you know, we, we added some years to our lives kind of getting to this point for, for sure, but it's all about kind of looking at it at different points in time. And what are you ultimately building to? And it's a long way of saying, I think in any moment, it's hard to know if the decision you're making is the the right one. And this is where you and I, I feel like are a little bit opposed in that you're like an eternal optimist and always positive And like, I trust my God, I'm making the best decision. Whereas I'm like, I need to like check a hundred different resources before I feel comfortable, you know, following my gut. Right. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. I have this, like people have said to me and I didn't even know this about myself because I didn't really understand for a long time like, I guess, risk tolerance. Like I understood it from the perspective of investing, but I didn't really put myself in that category as as such a risk taker. But basically it's like, people are like, you just leap, you just go for it and you leap. And I do, hasn't always worked out, but to your point, even the things that didn't work out were stepping stones to the ones that did. And it's funny because for how heady I am and how like intellectual and I want to know everything, like I I think being omniscient would be the most amazing thing in the world. I just want, always want to know everything. And I try really hard, but a lot of times when I've made these big leaps of faith, it's literally with no thought it's with like a knowing and not like careless, but just like something is just like, like a big yes. And that's like that intuition. And now I've learned to hear when it's a no, because a lot of times it was like, I would get a no in my body and then I would do it anyways, because I thought I was smarter than my intuition, which I'm not, but yeah, that leaping is, yeah, I guess I have like a level of faith that I've grown into, but I wasn't always like this at all. That's only the past. That's only the past few years. And honestly, like you know, joining Alpha in in 2018 and just like, just coming into this with like you and Fark and Anne, it was like, okay, let's try, like, let's try this thing. Like you guys had been in it for a little while. And, you know, I was like, again, I'm like, okay, let's try it. I mean, it felt really good. There was like such strong alignment, which I talk about all the time when I go on podcasts is like your partnerships is everything. And yeah, you know, it, it worked out and it seems like this year we exploded and it sudded and like, Oh, how did you guys like all of a sudden be so successful? But in reality, and you know, this better than, than I do, cause you started the company. It's not sudden. It took a lot of, a lot of really hard work to get to this point of quote unquote, sudden success. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing about our world is that you don't see the fruits of your labor for three to five years after you do it. Meaning you know, we get people to invest into a deal. That deal, you know, exists for some period of time, three to five years. It sells, people get a reward, you know, investment return. And they say, hey, these guys know what they're doing. And then, you know, they bring new people and it like takes off. Right. And so, you know, it's been the last like 18 to 24 months where we've seen 
you know, a lot of those rewards come, but like you said, it's from the work that went into it when we first started and listen, like there were certainly mistakes along the way, right? I can point to, to dozens of things we could have done better. Or we didn't know at the time, but at the end of the day, I think your point is we put together a team of people that had very similar, you know, ideas and visions and, and alignment and, you just kind of trusted the process that if we kept doing the right thing over and over again, we kept making the right decision time after time, you know, eventually we would get to a point where, you know, all of this stuff paid off, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. And the right decisions and doing the right thing. Like people will ask me a lot, like as a capital raiser, right? Like what's, what's the secret. And, and I'm like, be a good person. Do the like it's not a secret. It's be a good person, do the right thing by your investors. And I know that that's like that's like the principle on which the firm is built and everything, and that we do everything. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that it takes some time, right? To your point, it takes some time. And we had some good like exits this year, and people were really happy. And we were like, oh shoot, how do we downplay such like monster numbers that we return? Because it's not necessarily going to be what comes in the future. And so that's another version of like, how do we do the right thing in terms of setting expectations? Well, it just feels wrong, right? Because every time I get one of those emails from, you know, one of these firms that markets their deals on the internet on some list I clearly never signed up for. And it's like 38 IRR, you know, 2005 vintage class A building that we're buying at a, a four cap. And it's like, well, how are you generating a 35 IRR on a, on a mm-hmm. deal like that? It just doesn't, doesn't make mm-hmm. sense. Like mm-hmm. it, it will, that will never be the case. But then the email I get two days later is like, spots are filling up fast. Like you better get in, you know? And then like three days later, only 10% of the equities left. Like this is your last chance. And they create that, you know, fear of missing out. And I think, wow, like I do not want to be like that group. And it's a continuum or there are degrees to it. Right. But I feel like if you're out there promoting these massive successes as if that's what people should expect going forward, you're doing a version of the exact same thing. And that just, again, doesn't feel right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like finding that balance between celebrating the good things because people also want to hear, like they want to know that you're successful, right? If, especially if they're going to put money with, to work with you, right? They want to know that, that you do what you say you're going to do and, and that they can be successful, right? Cause we're stewarding their, their capital. And that's that balance between showing the competence and the, the success, so to speak. And, and, and yet balancing that with the responsibility of saying not to be expected, this is how we make our assumptions, right? That's where Anne comes in and the underwriting and like how we really like pick our partners and, and, and just, just because, you know, there's market appreciation right now, doesn't mean that that's what we focus on. We really focus on that forced appreciation. And, and I think that's a really important distinction that maybe a lot of newer investors don't understand the difference. And I know I spend a lot of time talking about it with, with my investors is like, we're not banking on the market, making this a successful project. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly right. Because it's sometimes it's better to get lucky than, than, you know, be good at what you're doing. And we're always trying to do both in effect, right. Where we're going to make decisions about the projects we invest in, you know, under a lens that, you know, we believe provides 
very strong risk-adjusted return potential to the folks that are investing with us. But at the end of the day, like we didn't predict COVID, right? We didn't predict the cap rate compression that occurred in workforce multifamily thereafter. We didn't predict the massive jumps in rent growth in some of these major markets, right? And, and nor did our sponsor partners, right? Now you got to give them some credit. You know, they picked certain markets that have massively outperformed expectations over the last five years, but you know, nobody expected to see what, what we saw. And that's why it's very important when you look at aggregate return data is to understand what chunk of that return is execution driven and which part is market driven appreciation, right? And when you look at deals on a going forward basis, not only should you not assume market appreciation, but you should assume the opposite, that pricing trends move against you as an owner of real estate. And only then, if a deal can make sense and provide a return profile that makes sense for the level of risk that you're taking, you know, should you consider these types of transactions with partners who have long histories of being able to execute, right? Because you know, there are deals that we got into. There's a storage deal that we got into like three or four years ago. That's just like a disaster. You know, it, it's like 40% under underridden um, NOI, but it just got tucked into a portfolio and it's sold and it's uh, netting our investors a, a low 30s IRR. If you wow. had asked us, you know, 18 months ago, we would have said maybe that's a five or six IRR deal. Like we're not investing with this group anymore. And the reality is, you know, when somebody sees that 30, 35 IRR, that number looks really good, especially in the context of like historical real estate returns, right? But if you're not careful, if you start investing with a group like that, when uh, market appreciation, you know, is not as likely on a going forward basis, you know, that's where you run into to these issues. And at the end of the day, real estate investing, the first goal for everyone really should be preservation of your capital, right? You don't want to lose money. And then you want achievable upside, right? A business plan that makes sense, that can that can be executed. And if properly executed, you know, you'll see an investment return that that is solid. People in theory should be happy with 12 to 15 IRR deals, assuming the risk makes sense. And that's not always the case, right? Investors want these like 20, 30, 40, you know, 100 IOR deals, right? Like we all want them. And in this moment in time, they're really interesting. And I wanted to buy, you know, Ethereum two years ago, right? Like the, it's just the reality. <laughs> yeah. like there are moments in time where mm-hmm. putting your capital at risk pays you an outsized return. And there are moments where the opposite happens. And so you have to be positioned to seize the upside and mitigate the downside. Yeah, no, 100%. And we're spoiled. We're spoiled for returns. I mean, we returned 100 IRR. To, to some of our investors this year, not to be expected. If you invested in certain you know, cryptocurrencies, you may, you're maybe up 10,000% this year. Wild. It, but that is just, it's not normal. But what I think I'm seeing a lot of, because I spend a lot of time like really in this like future space, like I'm really interested in what's going on with DeFi and Web3 and even the metaverse and everything that's coming along the pipeline is that you have people who are, are doing like 100% in a day. And it's really hard <laughs> if you're trading 100% a day on certain coins or what have you, or like getting 100 IRR you know, with a sponsor in real estate even these days. It's, it's like really hard to go back and look at 
something and, and think, oh, but this one's only 12, like only 12. That's not only 12. That's a, that's a solid, that's like a solid return. And I think we're spoiled and I'm really hoping that's not going to bite everybody in the butt in a couple years or whenever things will start to settle, come down to earth a little bit, because I, I think we're riding a wave that is just not, it's just not sustainable. And we just need to check ourselves is really what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I remember like it's late February, early March when Fark and I, our, our partner Fark started like investing in, in cryptocurrency and like Fark did it first. And he's like, dude, I've I've been investing for like 12 days and I've made $40,000. Like, what are, like, what are we doing? Like, why are we working? Like, what, like, like, why don't we just take all of our alpha money and just like put it in? And to be honest, if we had done it at that time, like it would have been amazing. And, you know, assuming we had sold, especially outside of the last week or so, but, you know, regardless it's, you know, it's, it's very easy for expectations to become out, outsized. I think that when I talk to new investors in our network, the majority of people get it, right? They're trying to take their capital. And you know, even though we talk about cash flow and passive income, the majority of people that you know invest with us, at least this is my experience, they don't really care about the quarterly cash distributions. It's not meaningful enough for the most part to you know, change their day to day. And what they're doing is just taking that money and they're reinvesting it. Right. And they're rolling it over and over and over and over and over again. And like their money just keeps going into this large pool of wealth. That's going to continue to grow. Like for the most part, they probably will never have to access. Right. And that's like the weird, like catch 22 of this whole space. Right. You know, my wife likes to say like, it doesn't count as earned until you spend it like, <laughs> like a little bit tongue in cheek, but like the reality is like, you know, there, there's probably some, some merit to that. Yeah. Well, it's, you know what it is. It's, it's like funny money. It's paper gains, right? It's like, if you don't realize your returns, they're not real. And so, yeah, like for those 12 days and, you know, up, you know, that, that was probably at the top of the market back in like March and April, and then everything just like tanked. And then it kind of came back up again. And then it's just like, it's volatile. And that's one thing I really appreciate about real estate is that it's not volatile. So like, yeah, like, you know, play, play with the crypto and like, maybe even like this year, the, the stock market, you know, like the most of the gains of this year in the S and P 500 have been made by five companies. That's a little scary to me thinking about like, is that going to be sustainable next year? And like, if those five companies don't perform, like what's going to happen, not to like scare people out of stocks or anything, but you know, it's, it's just like understanding what, what is driving growth and like, is it sustainable? And to your point, like having a defensive position or like a strategy in place where you're, you really understand like short, medium and long-term what your money's doing and like, why, um, like why you're doing that so that you can have like your fun little crypto money, which could, you know, buy you a car or like a syndication later on, depending on what you do with it. But then having a really solid, um, plan in place that that's long-term and can weather what I believe will be increased volatility. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing to be really clear about is that on these podcasts, you and I talk about cryptocurrency all the time, but <laughs> For the other like 70 work hours a week, like 95% of them are spent talking about real estate, right? And so it's not a necessarily a representation of like where, 
you know, how we're thinking about deploying our capital. But it is just really interesting. And part of it's because it's very volatile, which I find interesting. I love waking up every morning and like checking and like just seeing like how, even though I have zero regardless of what it says, I'm not changing. Like I'm not pulling money out. Right. It just, it's interesting for me to follow. Whereas Fark is the exact opposite. He's like, don't tell me, I don't want to know. I'm going to look like once every six months. Right. And so, you know, just, it's, I think you and I, we, we talk about it more than than most people, but in Mm -hmm. the grand scheme of our lives, even though we have a lot of these types of like conversations with other people who are in the space, the reality is like, the vast amount of our time is actually spent talking about real estate, sadly. Oh, totally. Yeah. And I mean, we just did like the last few episodes of the year were Bitcoin, cryptocurrency related because it's 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 a really big thing and a lot of people are, are getting into it. But yeah, I mean, same with like my portfolio is so predominantly real estate. Like let's, let's be real. I think it's, I think it's really interesting and a lot of people are getting into it and I think it's, you know, it's worth talking about. And so, you know, like we had that, we had Courtney on last week and she's oil and gas and like, there's so much to consider actually when, when it comes to investing. And I think like, that's one of the things I really like to talk about when we have people is like, you know, how did, how did they build their wealth? We had so many entrepreneurs on like, how did they do that? Like, how did they build their business? How, like, how did they create value for themselves that then created wealth? And like, what are they doing with it? Because everyone has a story and everyone's like trying, I think, to achieve the same thing, which is a level of fulfillment and satisfaction and freedom and time and, you know, wealth beyond just financial wealth. And so it is really, it's, I, I'm, I'm fascinated and I'm always enriched by having those conversations. And, you know, I know looking forward into 2022, you know, I, I'm really like looking forward to having more of those in-depth conversations and, and like understanding from people, like, how did you think about that? Like, like, how did you come to understanding and conclusion and also seeing what similarities exist? And I think one of my big takeaways from all of our guests in 2021 is that like at, at a fundamental level, they were all coming from a place of not doing it just for the money, but there's something of great value and meaning that they got out of doing what they did and what what, what, what financial wealth allows them to do. And I think that's, that's like the common denominator for me. What I'm, what I'm hearing from people is that it's, it's not like the dollar sign is the end goal. It's something so much deeper for each person. Yeah. I think that's one of the best things about like what we get to do on a day-to-day basis, right. Is we meet a lot of people who you know, in a lot of ways are either, you know, entrepreneurs or other they've, C-suite like executives, people who have gotten to the point where, you know, they're regularly writing six figure checks into multiple deals a year. Like we joke often, like, you know, some of the folks in the network who just write these like large checks eight or 10 times a year, like it's nothing. It's just like crazy, right? That level of wealth is hard to comprehend at times, but it's really interesting when we get to, to meet these people and hear their stories and like, this is what I do. And this is why, you know, I've been able to be successful by positioning myself in this way, in this market at this time. And you realize that there's like a lot of things out there, a lot of ways to build wealth that, you know, I've never even, I've never even crossed my mind. Right. Yeah. 
Totally. Yeah. And I think that's why it's really interesting to explore all of that because it's that, that learning, it gets me closer to omniscience. So I'm, I'm into like having more of those conversations, but just to wrap up, what are you thinking about for 2022? Like anything that just comes to mind, like what are your not predictions? Cause I'm not a big fan of predictions, but like, what are you most looking forward to in 2022? And, and what is like one thing that you're thinking about defensively that you might be not concerned about, but like, I'm going to keep an eye on this. And then like one big thing that you're like really excited about or looking forward to. Yeah. So I think the the thing I'm keeping an eye on is the deal environment as it relates to real estate. Right. And, you know, people in the media or what have you message boards are always talking about, you know, pricing pressure and how frothy every market is. And, in a lot of cases, that's very true, right? There are certain segments or deal types that make sense in these types of, of environments. And you know, we've been investing in those and they've been doing well for the, the reasons that that we expected, right? That being said, you know, at some point, you know, deal flow stops looking super interesting. Now the trade-off is everyone who's invested, like if that point comes, like you're going to see outsized returns on your on your deals. And so, you know, you may not need to make as much money on your capital going forward, or you may find other places to invest, what what have you, right? The interesting thing that I think to be on the lookout for, and this is not novel or predictive at all, is what happens as as rates tick up, right? As the the Fed's taper wears out, we're probably what six to nine months out from seeing meaningful rate increases. I've heard everything from two to three 25 bit hikes this year. And the real question will be what happens to cap rates? Because the two schools of thought are, well, interest rates go up, cap rates have to go up, right? The cost of borrowing is higher. People are not going to be willing to pay as much for assets when interest rates are, are sub 4%, right? And then there's the other school that says, nope, like look back to 2017, 2018, where we had seven rate hikes in eight quarters. And guess what? Cap rates kept compressing because there are so much private equity dry powder out there. It was getting deployed. People need a place to, to put their capital. And so I think that's the thing that I most closely have my, my eye on because it's you can we can talk about it, you know, and we do every every on every Friday team call we have, we talk for an hour about the different like economic things we're seeing and what you know what we expect and you know where we think you know we we need to think about risk differently, what what have you. But at the end of the day, like we just have to see things play out, right? Like I can't COVID, what what happened after COVID is never something I would have predicted. And there are certainly people who you know, did say, Hey, this is how people are going to change their behavior. But I remember at the beginning of COVID saying, Brittany, like we are not buying a house right now. Like people are not going to go out and pay, buy a house at the top of the market then, right. Which was the top of the market since, you know, the, the great recession, when there's all this lingering economic uncertainty out there, it's crazy. Like we're going to wait and we're going to wait till some of these deals, like you know, come back around and like, that couldn't have been more wrong, you know? And so, you know, it's a long way of saying, you just have to see how things play out. And then, you know, things I'm looking forward to slash terrified about obviously is having this, this child, Um, you know, it's, it'll be an interesting, an interesting change in my life for sure. Um, You know, up until 
I guess this moment in time, I've really only had to be like responsible for my own life. And I know the sense of obligation I feel toward a dog, let alone a human. And so even Fark's dog, when he's here, like I feel an obligation to him, like he'll be barking downstairs and I'll be like, I got, got to go check on him. Like, you know, something crazy could be happening down there. And so that part's a little bit terrifying to me, but you know, everyone I've spoken to, you know, is always just like so positive about the experience. And so that's what I'm, I'm most excited for. We do not have a name picked out. That's, that's another thing that we need to figure out. I think I need a little bit more time pressure to, <laughs> to get there. And the challenge is you probably know as well as a is like the Italian naming tradition of naming uh, yeah. the firstborn son after, after the father is particularly challenging in my case, because the way I worked on my dad's side, I ended up being a junior. And so that would mean I would have to name my child the third and just start the, the dynasty, I guess. And people have very strong opinions about whether that is, it, it, whether that makes sense or not. So I got to sort through all that stuff, but I'm looking forward to it nevertheless. Well, yeah, the, the whole naming, it's so funny. Cause I was thinking about how, like my name is a combination of my grandmother and my great grandmother's name on my father's side. And so this like, kind of like made up name. And then there was like this fight with like my sister Camila and my cousin, whose name is Camila, because my dad really wanted to name this is like this whole thing with naming. And you know, I, I don't have kids, so I, I don't have that issue, but it'll be fun to, it's going to be so much fun to like, kind of like, you know, participate a little bit in that and, and see how that, how that all goes. I know for me, I think about, you know, one of the things that I'm sort of really looking at is inflation and what that's doing to a lot of people. And like, even, you know, even just for me, like as fortunate and, and as I am, like I'm seeing there's just such a huge impact. And so that is something I, I really look at and and I think everyone should be really aware of, and there's a lot of media attention around it. So like, clearly people are aware of it. And so, um, you know, in an extreme way, I, I hope we don't go into stagflation where we just at a certain point, the wage growth stops and everything's too expensive. And yet we still have inflation, like worst case scenario. So that's something that I have, that I have my eye on in terms of something that that concerns me. And then something that I like look forward to from a real estate perspective is doing more of the single family rentals because of what you were saying with the cap rate compression, especially with multifamily, like we've been doing a lot more single family rental portfolios and like the, um, the narrative there and the economics there are so strong. And I think that's a huge move that we've made as alpha, something I really, really believe in. I got my start in real estate in the single family side. So I, I know how powerful this asset class is. And then I guess like personally, which is also kind of professionally, I'm launching this mastermind for women called women of wealth. Cause I want to have more of these kinds of conversations with women and get more women to invest. I mean, their women are set to inherit $30 trillion of wealth in the next 10 years. And and I think there's so much power and responsibility in that. And so I'm really excited and I'm launching that with Jennifer Burnham Grubbs, who was on our podcast a little while ago. And so I'm really excited to have more of those conversations, my own journey with wealth, wealth building, and that kind of that, that kind of success has been super empowering and confidence building. And I really just want like more women to feel that way. That's so that's what I'm super excited about for, for 2022. 
Yeah. Well, here's to 2022, right? Yeah. Looking forward to it. Yeah. It didn't, it didn't feel like we were going to get here, but, but now we are right. And so time to move forward. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, for everyone that's kind of been with us along the way, thank you. And we're super excited to bring uh, more guests in 2022 and have more of these conversations. So wishing everybody all the best end to the year. And if you're listening to this in the new year, great start to the year and excited for everything that's to come. Thanks for tuning in to Real Wealth, Real Health. We hope that you've enjoyed today's episode and found it both informative and insightful. We welcome all your questions and your feedback about today's episode. And especially, we welcome your questions about specific topics that you would like us to cover. So shoot us an email at podcast at alphai.com. And if you have a moment, we really appreciate ratings and reviews as it helps us grow our online community and our interactions with you. And we'll also be linking to a number of relevant articles on topics that we might have touched on during our conversations. Some of them are broad, some of them are technical, but we're always aiming to provide information that helps you better understand the mechanics of building this healthy financial foundation, especially if you're looking to do this with real estate. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.